Hi, I'm Don Terry, former National Football League official. Uh, it's my pleasure to be on the Elsie and Jack radio show with Cornbread. Listening to the LC and Jack Radio Show live from New York. And now, here are your hosts, LC and Jack. Not even maybe not even pads or very very light pads not pads like we have now because 30 to 40 years from now I think the evidence is going to be in that when you start playing this game you are putting your the back end of your life the last 40 to 50 years of your life at risk now some people want to make that trade off and they will do that it's an opportunity to not only to play a game you love but to make good money from it but I, you can look at more and more of the players that have played this game that are suffering from the trauma. Their kids are not playing the game. So yeah, so uh, true, uh, absolutely. And, and and I get it. You know, uh, I think a lot of people do. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot on the youth level. You know, being involved. You know, the numbers are way down. Uh, but on for, but to be fair. Uh, some of the other sports are not getting the negative press. I mean, I understand why the NFL took the hit, but a lot of sports have more concussion rates, higher concussion rates than football, and that's women's, really been starting being public. Absolutely, women's soccer has an enormous problem with uh, head trauma at at every level. And you're right; I, I think that it's probably because it does not get publicized. They are not the number one sports. Um, a number head trauma let's just leave it there with head trauma is a tremendous problem in all contact sports and uh, you're right NFL takes take well, a hit number one and all kinds of other issues but if you look at what happens to in women's soccer not good and in fact you can go back to uh, not go back you can look at what happens to top level players in um, European soccer, a number of those are suffering identical uh, head traumas as NFL athletes are. Not to not to a larger, uh, to about the same level. Um, with if you look at the number of contacts, so um, it's it's a problem with the head is not designed to take blows. You know the the yeah, helmet will the, the helmet will protect the skull. It will protect the skull in the face, but the brain floats inside the skull, and the trauma is not is not from the contact of the uh, hit. It's from the head bouncing off the inside of the uh, skull. Mm. You can check that out anytime you'd like. Anybody that talks to you about that, that's why we can we can only make it 
safer. You cannot make it safe because that that trauma, those contacts, and everybody's different. Some people don't respond to it the same way. Their, their brains right. don't get that. So it's not everybody that's going to have that. But it's probably far too large a number. Now, kind of transitioning, the there's been several uh, officials that have kind of uh, they, they they paved the way. Did you ever had a chance to meet Burl Tola? Oh, I Burl I I knew Burl from from being a fan, and Burl was one of the scouts that came to watch me when I was officiating first in the Big West, and he's the godfather of black officials as far as I'm concerned. Uh, tremendous, tremendous man. Yeah, I know Burl very well. I knew Burl very well. He's a great, great man. That's great. It's great to hear, and there's always got to be someone to pave the way so others have the opportunity, so... Uh, many, many thanks to to Burrell to allow um, gentlemen like yourself and your brother and, and others to have that opportunity. It's always a little easier when um, you know that first the first person gets in and opens the door. So many I, thanks I, to him. Yeah, I would invite your listeners to Google Burrell Toller. He was on the national championship team at the University of San Francisco. There might not have been a national championship team, and I'll just leave it there. And the, the issues they had to deal with and the support he got from his teammates, a number of whom went on to be NFL um, Hall of Famers. So Google Burl Toller, and uh, you will see a very inspiring story, not just related to to football but to life and that's key right is essentially usually the 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 men we and women we speak to it's more than just what they do it's their principles and and just the what they bring to the job and they 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 bring their own identity and that's what's key and we we try to point this out uh to all the different uh, individuals that listen to the show is that it's you. It's it's what you bring to whatever you do. Whether you're a police officer, you're a doctor, you're a garbage man, you're whatever you do. That's a you know a living to support your family. It, it's you. You bring that that special very, qualities. Yeah, very well said. I I totally agree with you. Now, with that said, Johnny Greer, can you can you tell us? And and I know you've probably met and know, and worked possibly with Johnny. Could you talk, tell us a lot or a little bit about Johnny? Yeah, Johnny was the first black referee, uh, highly respected, great game manager. Everybody that officiated with Johnny loved Johnny. The coaches and players loved Johnny. Um, just an exceptional. National Football League official and human being. So um, Johnny paved the way for all of us. Johnny was a back judge when he started. Uh, He's still intimately involved in the game and teaching and evaluating with the Pacific 12 Conference. So I cannot remember if I was ever on the field with Johnny, but I was in the league with Johnny, and Johnny was a supervisor of referees 
for a long time before he retired and and then picked up his uh, work with the Pac-12. So Johnny, an exceptional individual, paved the way for for a lot of people, provided opportunities for a lot of people, um, served as a mentor to a number of officials that are in the league and are very successful. Well, sounds like definitely a future guest of our show. Yeah, I think that is attractive. Got an opportunity. He's he's got a lot of stories to tell. Well, that's good, and and we like to get those stories out there because, unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, us being a uh, show geared, I'll call it to the urban audience, but it's really for all people uh, because we're worldwide. Is to you don't get that, you know, from just the small background you may get it, and those stories, you know, touch so many different people. And it gives you another perspective of maybe the experience that someone goes through or just or the impact that they've made just for, you know, in our conversation, just you getting that opportunity to do something that you loved on the highest level, which is, you know, a rare thing, especially for African-American. It's almost impossible uh, for, I don't want to say impossible to become a referee or an official, but. You know, and 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 this is something that I'd love to. Since we're talking about how uh, do do we? Is there a lot of African Americans that are are officials? And if they are, are are they getting the opportunity? I, I would say there are not the numbers that 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 one would uh, hope would be involved, but it's a very very tough process for anyone. First of all, you have to have the opportunity in your life, the the space in your life to do this. Um, I'll just talk to you about locally. Uh, We think we have a very good program without without regard to race, color, creed, or gender. Um, But the fact of the matter is, it's like I'll, I'll do this about engineers. If if we as a people would like to have more engineers, more than 3% engineers or whatever the number is, that means you have to input many more into that process than we are now. So if we want to have better results, we have to have more people involved. And so that gets down to questions of opportunity, time, inclination, and those things. So having said that, the numbers are smaller than than we would like. The opportunities are increasing uh, across the board, I would say. Uh, If I were involved in the uh, outreach program, I would start reaching out or I would reach out far more than it appears that we as a sport are doing to ex-players. Now we've got a problem uh, beyond the college level. Someone that has been a player at the National Football League level has conceivably made some pretty good money. So he is not going to want to, to go through that process. And he can get, he can get fast-tracked. He, an individual that's uh, worked in the NFL can get fast-tracked. But there are not enough ex-players, period, and certainly not enough uh, not enough, not the number of black players that we'd like to see. 
So at the college level, I'll, I'll short circuit my part of this discussion, but I think the opportunities are there and they are like everything else in life. They are, they come down to opportunity, right place, right time, right assets. So I wouldn't tell you that where we would like our numbers to be, but uh, right. I think there's a, there is a great opportunity. It is, it, it is not an impediment to your success. Our race is not an impediment. It's the, again, the opportunity and the inclination to do this. And, and just to, to talk about this a, a little bit more, when you look at a National Football League player, an NBA player, a baseball player, that individual had extraordinary skills, gifts. Absolutely. Then they worked on them. And then they did the things that it takes to be a good teammate, to be a to follow instruction, to follow coaching, all those things that make a good athlete. There are the world is full of athletes of all stripes that have extraordinary ability, but they can't work in a team environment. Their life doesn't permit them to work in a team environment. They're not enrolled in a college, so they don't get to play college football. And they do have the basic talent and skills, but un- well, not unfortunately, uh, the way life is, it isn't, that isn't the whole story. So there are, right. you can go to, you can go to any, any place, I, 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 from a distance, I've watched uh, casually the, the inner city basketball played in New York for the last 60 years. There are players there that could step on an NBA court and function at a very high level for a period of time. Now, do they have the skills to adapt themselves to work in that environment at all times? Clearly, not always. And it happens on baseball fields. It happens on on track and field events that the people that we don't always get the very, very best people involved because for one reason or another, Something sidetracks us, or you just can't can't complete all the requirements to get to the place where you'd like to be. So the same thing applies to officiating. The number of the number of officials that commit themselves to it, that do well, for, from our um, families, do well. We would like to see many, many more. The opportunity is there. The outreach is there. Uh, we we just got to do. A better job, a better job of getting more people involved in the process. Not so much the people in the process that need more help. It's getting the right numbers in so that now instead of three percent engineers, you're getting the twelve or thirteen percent, fifteen, whatever the unlimited number is. But you can't just wish overnight that you're going to jump from uh, a participation rate of fifteen to twenty percent to thirty or forty percent. It does not happen that way. No, understandable. Understandable. I'm glad you kind of shed that light on the process, and and you make a good point. It, you have to have it, it becomes a numbers game, and the, the more the more opportun- the more people or applicants that are out there, it will raise the number up. So that's great to hear. It'll be good to. I mean, you always. And I know several former players, and I know Brett does as well. And they always could come out into the community and, and give kids and 
and those athletes insight of of hey what it takes it'd be really good and i've never seen it i'm sure that it's being done it'd be great I, you know obviously we, we do it via radio right but it'd be good to actually see former officials like yourself and and i'm sure you do in your area but um a little bit more out there kind of doing a recruit like hey this this is a great opportunity for you not necessarily be nfl but uh, for them to strive to, hey, if, if this is something you like. I mean, I know several individuals that are doing it on, on um, high school as well as college. And uh, just getting them that information of, hey, this is, you have an opportunity um, well, to, I'm, to be I'm, at I'm, the highest level. I am personally intimately involved in our instruction and training program here in San Diego for, for that reason. Okay. Uh, it is what it is what I do. It is what I love. Um, I love I love teaching. I love giving people an opportunity or being involved in the opportunity for them to improve their skills. And after that, I don't work very much at the college level because at the college level, those individuals have already demonstrated their their ability. But I find it very rewarding and the the uh, improvement and the development of skills that you see from the high school to small college is enormous. And then they're on their own, and then you try to put them in the right place in contact with the right people so that they that they can work to their highest ability. So I, I do it. I know others do it. Um, it is important. It's, I was taught by my mentors to give back, that it wasn't, it wasn't enough for you to accomplish on your own. If you're climbing the ladder, you have to be reaching back for Bring somebody else, else, someone else has to come. Absolutely. It's not Absolutely. just you. That's that's a responsibility. Absolutely, I I agree. And and uh, we got a couple more. I know uh, you've been good. We we got you on the line. I got a couple more quick ones, if, if that's okay, uh, Don. Of course. And if you're just tuning in. This great interview uh, is uh, Mr. Don Carey, uh, former NFL official and also referee. Uh, so what was the most, uh, I don't want to say a highlight because you're doing something that you love, but is there a particular game that stands out that you, know, you look back and you're like, it was such a joy to have that opportunity to officiate that game? You know, I, I, I'm asked that question a, a number of times, and, and I was fortunate to work a Super Bowl. That was that was a, a great reward, uh, very satisfying. But it it's the things that stand out in my officiating career are plays, games, not the full game, but things that happen in a game. So I don't have anything like like that, and a story that would be uh, take too long to tell. Uh, no, it won't. I'll do it very. I'll do it very quickly. The, the uh, a play that stuck out, sticks out in my mind about all kinds of things about the National Football League and the way the game is played. It was a uh, Tampa Bay Buffalo Bill game in Tampa, and Rob Johnson was the quarterback for Buffalo, and he was rushed and hit hard. After, just as he threw the pass by Derek Brooks, 
The play ended up covering 15 to 20 yards more, and he was being chased around in the backfield. Derek Brooks got downfield and made the tackle on that play. And that, as you're officiating a game, you see small things. You, you see Randy Moss, and you see other players just do things that uh, Terrell Owens do things that you just have a hard time believing how people can get that. <laughs> do the do talent, do the play. <laughs> so that play and one other play was uh, a San Francisco against Green Bay in San Francisco. Terrell Owens went up to make a catch at about the eight or nine yard line, if I'm not mistaken. Out fought the defender for the ball. Ran over the defender scored a touchdown, and just the way that he did it caused my sideline partner and I just to look at each other with their mouth open. You can see that play because that's the play that he makes that catch, runs in the end zone, and takes the um, pom-poms from the cheerleader and starts uh, leading the cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> so I like so a T.O. play, baby. Exactly. So if you go look at that play and it, it runs – the whole play doesn't run, but it's the beginning of that play where his catch and his domination, total domination of another world-class athlete, which was just shocking, and then to just sort of let it all go, go grab the pom-poms and shake them. It, that Those two plays stand out to me mm. more than anything else on the field. Oh. There, there are many others, but those those are the biggest in my mind. And those are classic highlights. I see them all the time on the reruns. <laughs> Was there any particular coach, Don, that, and again, I, I know you, you you know, it's kind of tough, you know, throw anybody under the bus, but was there any guys that you'd be like, if you had a chance to meet him, LC or, or Brad, you'd be like, he's kind of a one of a kind guy, or even like player, you only get certain aspects or, of some of these guys. Where they're really, you know, most of them are really good guys. But is there any any guys that kind of stick out, or you know, players or coaches? Um, coaches, um, hands down. Uh, well, it, I, I'm kind of biased um, because I was a before I got in the NFL and coming along, I was a, a big fan of Bill Walsh, but I. I I am continually and always amazed at the coaching skill of Bill Belichick. And officials had very little contact with players off the field and only that kind of professional contact on the field. But I'm amazed at at his skill, and I just have not seen anybody um, with his ability to get performance out of players and teams, and it goes back to an old um, statement about coaching, about he can beat you with his players, and he can beat you, he could beat his team with your players, and that's, to me, that speaks volumes of uh, coaching skills, the ability to identify talent, and to put them in the right place, and um to get the end result. And I think that, that all you have to do is just look at the numbers of players that come through there that fill a role that all of this is very ephemeral. It just passes by very quickly. So 
but you don't realize, you, you do, uh, realize the, the ability to identify people, to plug them in the right place, plug them into the right system, and then to uh, defeat another team. He he just amazes me at his ability to do that, and his record stands for itself. Um, there are other, there are a bunch of other coaches that I thought that I believe are very good coaches, but I just didn't have that much contact with them. You you spend some time with coaches in the uh, preseason by going to their camp. So you're there, there with them a couple of, two or three days. I was impressed with um, two guys about the way they handled themselves. There's probably more than two if I went over the list. But um, Marty Schottenheimer was a, a mm-hmm. great, great teacher, coach. And I spent some time one year with uh, Lovey Smith's team in Chicago. And I was impressed. Also, um, Marvin Webster, too. That so every year you go to a camp and you spend three or four days there. So the way that their camps are run and the kind of things that they do, um, the way I look at coaches are coaches are really teachers and mentors. They're at the professional level. Absolutely, it's results oriented. But those that do that, from my kind of remote observation at the NFL level, but see it at every other level, are are really teachers and mentors and their their teams perform like that so and i i don't mean to leave anybody else out i'm just trying to think of other coaches that i was actually in their camps but those those three out to me if i'm thinking of marty schottenheimer marvin webster and lovey smith that i thought that the way that they taught and the kind of men that they were my observation of who they were as men i was very impressed with also i'm going to leave someone out that i it was Bill Parcells also. I spent some time when he was. Yeah, I was going to say that. I'm going to say that. That probably Bill falls into that. And I've always. Yeah. I'm not a Bill, Giant fan, but I always loved his his discipline and and dealing with. And you hit on the head. The personalities. I mean, they're very difficult, like you said, in being able to harness these guys because it, it, it's difficult dealing with 50 guys. Yeah. Uh, my 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 experience with Bill was when he was at Dallas, so they were at Oxnard, and we got to spend some time with him, and just the, just the insight that you would get from him, and just very, uh, not a lot of time spending with him, but uh, enough, and and to hear what his philosophy was, and how they go about it, and his comments about players, and and teams was, was interesting, I won't, I won't throw anything out there, but it, it was quite revealing. <laughs> it was, it, it, but you kind of you kind of see that with the great, as you said, teachers, because of their offspring. And enough said with Bill. I mean, because he has so many coaches. Um, I mean, he'll get credit for Belichick, you know, in a way. But and and a lot of the coaches that are out there now that coached with Parcells over the years. So those guys, you know, you learn. From a great, te- you know, from a great person who's a, basically a great communicator too, you learn how to do that, and he did it. You know, he had his way bill of doing it. So, last one for me, I guess. I mean, I, I mean, we could have you for hours. I mean, the insight you've given us, and we, we definitely want to have you back on. But and I'll let Brad kind of chime in if he's got anything he wants to throw at you. Uh, best, I, I, I won't say just quarterback. Best, just best player that you had an opportunity of being at the highest level, uh, 
you know, two or three plays you want to mention that you had an opportunity to see um, during your time in in the in the NFL? Um, I, the way the, the game works is that you're familiar with those players that uh, you come in contact with on a regular basis, and um, a guy that I talked to several times and and enjoyed a great deal was Darren Woodson, who was a defensive back, mm-hmm. safety for Dallas. I, if you yeah. ask me my favorite, my favorite defensive back, it would be him because he was very, very bright. Um, and f- for some reason, uh, the, the guy that stands out is the, lots of great receivers, lots of great, great talent. But one of my favorite guys, and he wasn't—he was never tough for me to handle, but he was tough for other defensive backs, for defensive backs to handle. I loved Steve Smith. I loved his fire. I loved um, loved yeah. everything about him. Um, and just retired. Uh, just hung it up not too long ago. That exactly. And um, there are defensive backs that I knew that were just off the charts. Um, Dion, with Dion, and that was during your time. And and Rod Woodson stand out. Yep, in Rod Woodson. As as guys that were, and there have been guys over a sh, over a short period of time. Nande Asamoah, when he was at at his peak with the Raiders, was exceptional. Mm-hmm. And I think some of those guys don't stand out that way, but he was a great great cover corner. So Dion would have been probably. The best defensive back, that maybe the best athlete um, that I saw. The receivers, it's Randy Moss, and um, now I'm forgetting. Oh, Chris Carter, uh, but a bunch. Chris Carter, uh, I was going to say. Fitzgerald, a a bunch of them. You know, there are there are a bunch of guys that just are. Tremendous, tremendous athletes, tremendous teammates, from my observation. But there's, again, there's very, very little contact off the field with any of those guys. So it's in my no, experience. I understand, it, but but you have the opportunity, though, which most of us don't. I mean, yeah, we're in the stands, but when you're on the field, I mean, you really get a good perspective. I mean, yeah, we see it on TV, right? But when you're right there. It's just like well, you if said, you're going to go amazing. to that, there were there were two quarterbacks, and I'm not saying they were better than anybody else, but there was something different about the way the ball came out and how and where it ended up, and that was um, Brett Favre. And now yep. I'm losing. <laughs> Pardon me. Well, I know Brett Favre was, I mean, just phenomenal. And that's another one of those high, games. I called him the high. He was the high gun. <laughs> he bounced yeah, around he, all over he, the place. That, that's another experience. If you're talking about experiences, the the weekend after his father died, his father died on a Friday or Saturday, and he came out on um, a Monday night game at Oakland, and he was unconscious. He he just every it was just one of those magical magical games. Players made great catches. And um, excuse me, my, I'm really going to castigate myself for the, the Miami quarterback. 
Dan Marino. Dan Marino. Dan, Dan Marino. The ball came. The Dan ball Marino. came out of their hand. It seemed to me faster than anybody else. Um, Dan Marino. Those. Those were the two. And there were a bunch of quarterbacks that were very good um, during that time. But as a, as someone who worked the defensive back, Dan Marino and and Brett Favre's balls came out unbelievable. Amazing, right? That quick trigger. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you got there, Brett? And that's a, that's perfect timing because it just brought me back to when I was in the Navy and we used to play flag football. And I wasn't really a quarterback type. I was more of a tight end, you know, when I played in high school. And, you know, in flag football, if you was a quarterback, you was, like, really the leader. You was a big gun on, on, on the base. So I tried out for quarterback position. In order to win the quarterback position, our – uh, supervisor uh, slash coach would time us because I was during the Dan Marino era well, who had the quickest release. So I practiced and practiced because I knew I would get the job, even though I wasn't the best. <laughs> to get that ball out of my hand because he would time us. Ooh, 2.3 seconds. You're Dan Marino material. And guess what? I won the job. <laughs> it's starting quarterback on my flag football team. <laughs> And I suck big time. <laughs> so, man, I'll tell you, that you mentioned, you know, Dan Marino with having the quickest release. And uh, I'll tell you, I said, well, you know what? I'm going to be the quarterback. <laughs> it wasn't the just the release. The, 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 I got the release. You know, it was how, was accurate how, or not. It was how quickly the ball got there uh, yeah. on a on a line. On the line. <laughs> Could be the other team, too. It don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you throwing it to just getting it. I was, was scared. I was trying to, make, I was trying to be starting quarterback, and I did it. <laughs> oh, yeah, everybody. Well, that's why everybody yeah. wanted to be quarterback, because of those guys. Yeah. Those guys exactly. are just, when you have those types of players. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I got one quick one, Don, and we're going to wrap, I promise. Um, and if you don't have a comment, you can say no comment. Uh, the and again, this is not related to the officials, but uh, just your personal um, answer would, you know, if, if you choose to answer. Any any response to the demonstrations during the flag? Yeah, I'm um, I'm in complete and total agreement with the players who decide to demonstrate their dissatisfaction with the um, way the country is run, period. Um, I, the First Amendment applies to everyone in every place, and um, I... Do you think uh, it detracts? I mean, some of the... Again, I'm, I'm, I'm playing, you know, piece of the media, but... Uh, do you think it detracts? You know, you get, the, the league has gotten a lot of negative press because uh, you know they think it detracts from the game, and several owners have made comments that are not necessarily. Uh, uh, okay, we can go back. And look it, it's at just this. pretty crazy. We didn't have, we did not have the players on the field for the national anthem. For many, many years of my time in the National Football League, and I want to say okay. that I'm, I stand to be corrected. After 9/11, the 
the um, players were on the field for the Star Spangled Banner. That's that's a choice by the players and the people that run the league. Their money, their game, their ball, they do what they like. But that does not lessen a player's or an individual's opportunity to protest in any reasonable way. And so if you understand the Constitution of the United States of America, there's First Amendment right. If you don't want to see the players kneeling down, don't bring them out of the locker room. And I would question, and I'm a patriot, citizen, love my country, I have a question about why we have the national anthem before sporting events. We don't have it before any other things that I can remember. We don't have it to start school. We have the Pledge of Allegiance to start school, but we don't have the Star Spangled Banner. And I'll, I'll leave it at that and say that that is a right that the players have to participate or not to participate on their feet. Um, and I won't apply a value judgment, but if, if you understand the Constitution of the United States, that is an inalienable, in, inalienable right of an individual to express their opinion. That's it. I, I understand. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, was that intentional or not intentional that he can't get a job? I'm not involved. I... I I don't don't know all the particulars. I wouldn't want to speculate one way or the other. I I think that okay. the I will I will speculate. That obviously, it has something to do with it, because no matter what, there are 32 NFL teams. Uh, one thing that we don't make very many of them is we don't make NFL quarterbacks. And for to have someone of his talent not have an opportunity kind of speaks volumes of of the repercussions he may or may not be suffering. With that said, we're going to close out this interview. We appreciate you, uh, wow, really giving us a really in-depth feel of uh, of an official and, and then some. And it's, uh, it takes um, a special person to be able to do something that they love at the highest levels. Uh, again, if you're just joining us, or well, you're catching us at the end of the interview of, of Mr. Don Carey, uh, NFL f- official, if I'm correct, for over 18 years, and um, it's been a pleasure, a pleasure, and we'd love to have you in uh, again on maybe soon, uh, sometime in the near future, to kind of spawn upon some other things, and perhaps when this season gets a little closer, uh, we can have you give a, you know give us uh, some in-depth knowledge, a little bit more about the game, um, but we really appreciate your time and the wealth of knowledge that you've uh, given to uh, the audience today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I very much appreciate it. You're most welcome. You're much welcome. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Don. You're welcome. It's been a great, great show, Brett. I tell you, having very informative. always getting the professionals, and you know, everyone says, "Hey, you're getting the athlete on," but guess what? The, the athletes are also the officials. Without the officials, mm-hmm. we don't have a game. And so uh, we tip our hats to those uh, men and women that do this this game of being officials. And uh, specifically today, we we thank Don Carey for uh, for shedding that light to us. And and uh, we we look forward to having a man um, on the show again. 
uh, soon. So make sure you hit us up, of course. Always have the great guests and uh, give you the opportunity to, uh, you know, get some insight of what it takes just to uh, be a professional in whatever you like to do. Um, I believe that you learn something from everyone on how to make yourself a better person. Uh, what do you got there, Brad, before we wrap the show? Oh, I got a couple of shout-outs to uh, a good friend of mine, Adrian, down in Shelby, North Carolina, Mr. Ed Corley, Mary Ann Taylor. I'm going to give a shout-out to my own girl, Maria Reyes. I'm going to be going checking out the Nixon Cavs game tonight. And guess who I ran into, man, on, online? Mr. Bill Rawlings, Mr. Shubling. Remember him? On the, uh, Absolutely. On our TV show. So I want to give a shout-out to those people real quick. And um, I want to thank Don Carey for an awesome interview, and I look forward to uh, having him on the show again in the near future. Absolutely. So what I said, we're going to sign off. Uh, stay safe, stay sound. God bless. Peace.